0: Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today?
1: I could not be better. How are you today, Tim?
0: I'm doing great today, Lance. And uh, in this episode, we speak with our friend Rebecca Heath. You may know Rebecca Heath from the Bear Brook Case, the podcast, of course, the very well-known podcast. And we met Rebecca last year, and she is great. She is a citizen sleuth, really top-notch citizen sleuth in her approach and her track record.
1: Yeah, you're very accurate with that. She's uh, very responsible in her method. She's very unassuming, too, because she managed to figure out the identities of the Bear Brook uh, murder victims. Bear Brook was a cold case that took place in uh, November of 1978. There were bodies that were found in the Bear Brook State Park in Allenstown, New Hampshire, uh, the bodies were found on November 10th of 1985 and May 9th of 2000. The names of the victims are Marlise Honeychurch, Marie Vaughn, Sarah McWaters, That was an 11th month old child. Marie Vaughn was seven and Marlise Honeychurch was 24. There's an unidentified child as well whose age range is between two and four. And Rebecca, through message boards and communication uh, on social media, was able to pinpoint who these people were, which eventually led to the discovery of Terrence Terry Rasmussen.
0: Yeah, he went by multiple names, and one of them was Bob Evans. And I remember uh, years ago, Lance, when we first spoke with Billy Jensen on these airwaves, we spoke about this case a little bit. And it was right before uh, it came out about Bob Evans. And then, of course, it took some twists uh, even still from there. So it's really, really an amazing case and very complicated. And there's still more work to do. So I hope you enjoy this episode and really listen to what Rebecca says, because she is really brilliant in citizen sleuthing and her analysis and her approach.
1: And it's really something special. And check out all of our shows, all the fine programs on the Crawl Space Media Network. We're growing daily, crawlspace-media.com, and we hope you enjoy. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody.
0: Welcome to the podcast, Rebecca Heath. Rebecca, how are you today?
1: It is uh, so good to see you again. We had uh, connected a few months ago, back before the pandemic started. Uh, right at the uh, right at the brink, there, right before things started shutting down, we had no idea that we wouldn't be connecting until several months later. Um, it's great to see you, uh, and and it's great to finally have the opportunity to talk to you on this show. We know you're super busy, so we appreciate you taking the time to do this and to talk about all your all your citizen detecting adventures.
2: Absolutely, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, you're kind of a rock star in this uh, in the field of um, citizen detecting, really, as you know, because your your connection with the Bear Brook case, and uh, yeah, so so I guess can we can you talk a little bit about yourself first, and um, I guess what what brought you to citizen detecting?
2: I'm not sure. I really realized that's what it was until all of that happened, where it was no longer a hobby of kind of just trying to find identities of individuals that were just Jane and John Doe's. That was a hobby to me. It was how I passed time. I guess it became an obsession at some point where I I couldn't let that specific case go. I guess that's that's the origin of it.
1: And the specific case that you're talking about is the Bear Brook case. And admittedly, and I feel so embarrassed by this, but being in the true crime um, genre, being a part of this industry, I feel embarrassed saying that I don't know a whole lot about Bear Brook. I, I'm sorry. I know that it's been in the news. It it happened in my home state Uh I just we we got we get so consumed with um you know Brianna Maitland and more Murray and Suitcase Jane Doe and and Bear Brook came along and I was like I don't have the bandwidth to comprehend all this. What got you started with Bear Brook instead of a number of the other cases that are out there?
2: So Bear Brook case, um, I think to me stood out so much because it was essentially an entire family. It was. An adult female, three young children, and two were related to her. So it was essentially a family that went missing. Which to me is just unfathomable how like someone somewhere knew something. It it just um it, it's it seemed like it was a family. Like there's there's gotta be better chances of finding you know the identity of an entire family versus one individual um but like you mentioned before it's such a confusing case and there really wasn't a lot of media exposure it really wasn't which is was even more shocking to me um it's i don't know why it was not like more widely publicized i i A lot of people don't know it and then now that the story has uncovered it just takes on a story of its own and there's so many avenues and paths that it's it's so it's so hard to to even tell in like a short period of time so it's not at all unlikely that people just they're like i I don't know much about it because it really hasn't been publicized
0: and it's complicated it um so it starts with barrels that were found. I guess uh the the part of the mystery involving Bear Brook uh the park in New Hampshire and there were barrels with bodies found in the in the barrels and uh, the woman um and and her daughter the eldest child they were first discovered in 1985 and then another barrel was found in 2000 and so they were obviously murder victims and so that that's sort of where you entered the story you knew that. And you were trying to find who they were.
2: Yes. So knowing that there were two sisters and they, they assumed the adult female was either an old, older sister or mother and this other little girl, that really got me down the path of trying to figure out who these people were, find out something because I truly believe that someone somewhere was looking for them that they weren't like people constantly were saying, you know, why, how can a whole family go missing? How come nobody's looking for them? And it was like, no, I don't, I don't think that's, that's the case at all. I think it's, it's who's looking for them. How, how do we find them? So for me, what, what I started doing was, well, 1985, what do you do when you were looking for someone in 1985? If you didn't file a police report if you didn't what were the avenues that you could use. And message boards, I mean, they were they were a big thing that people like could post. So I would just start searching through these message boards, looking, scouring for any I guess potential matches for these for these young young girls and their mother.
1: Tim did uh, mention that you are a bit of a superhero in the uh, true crime arena. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with how you are introduced. You're introduced as a librarian by day and this super sleuth by night. What is your history there? What is your profession? And uh, how does that relate to your research method, if at if at all?
2: So I am uh, a librarian. I'm a research librarian. During the day, I work in financial services. So I think my job title does plane a bit with researching skills because people come to you saying they, – they come to you looking for answers when they can't find them readily available themselves. So you have to have an maybe outside-the-box way of thinking or you just need to – know where to look or or know the resources know you know you just you just have to have that type of keep digging keep looking so I think that certainly helped it certainly helped um because you do kind of have to do outside the box thinking
0: right and so your theory was basically a, a great a great idea that um, there's a better chance of being able to locate these Jane Doe's identities because there's three of them versus one. And that makes sense. And no, it's not that there's no one looking for these people. It's just you have to find out how they were looking.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: So then, yeah, how did you do it?
2: So these, these message boards, um, there's there's actually quite a few that I would go through the ancestry message boards uh, was one specific one that I kind of kept going back to. So they have this area where people can post and there are posts from 20 years ago, there are posts, you know, that once the internet was up and running, you know, and people started using it. So there are people looking. So I would go through any of these, these uh, message boards and just go in between a couple of them. And I would start using keywords, which I was thinking. Okay, if I am, I just started putting myself in the position. Okay, I'm in the family. I'm looking for my sister's children. What, what what would I be looking for? What are words that I'd use? Okay, niece, um, sister. We knew the the two. Well, the two of the three girls we knew were related. But we knew that they were related maternally, not paternally. So another keyword was half sister, stepsister. And I would start making this list and anything if it said lo- like location-wise, who they thought went in this specific location, based off of like isotopes they, where they were law enforcement um, released the isotopes that which essentially said, okay, they're from these areas. So if it matched in any of those areas, I'd put a, this listing in this list. So this list was just, oh my God, just like hundreds of individuals looking for people. And one by one, I would go through and say, okay, did I did I find a a record of them being alive? Have I found a recent record of them? And then just slowly crossing them out one by one
0: and so where were these message boards they they were on you said ancestry message boards is that like ancestry.com
2: yeah so there's like a help section and let's it's like up at the tabs where you can ask you can either put out there and say hey can somebody else help me with this info um and it's was specific to locating long lost family that i was looking in
0: Interesting. Okay. Wow.
1: And uh, you were putting in all these keywords and you were looking into, um, I guess, the dynamics of the missing girls. So, you know, you knew to put in like half-sister. How long did this take before you saw something that stood out? Was it weeks, months, days?
2: Oh, goodness. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Years? I'm going to say... They had a press release in, I want to say, November of 2016, New Hampshire State Police did. And they said, OK, we know who the perpetrator is now. His name is Bob Evans. And once they released that, I, I, I don't know, that's when I was just like, no, there was no way If we know this guy's name, there's no way we don't know who these victims are. Like we we are just I so that was when I really started. Um and I believe I want to say November 2016. And then there was one listing that I came across, I'm gonna say was about a year later, maybe. I found this post, put it up on Facebook in one of these groups asking other people, hey do you think this could be the victims? And I didn't really get any feedback, not enough to kind of push me to lean one way or another. And so I just continued going back through this list. And I would just constantly be brought back to that same post over and over again. And since I couldn't rule out This woman, it just, I I just, I had to keep looking for for more info until I could get a, yes, this is them or no, it's definitely not them. It just kind of hung there. So the, the post were family members looking for a woman, Marlise Honeychurch and her two daughters, Sarah and Marie, and they were half sisters. So that was the she was also from California, too, and we knew that the perpetrator Bob Evans, which he was called in New Hampshire, that he was from california, so it it seemed to line up, but there wasn't really enough kind of pushing it one way or the other and then I started listening to a podcast because I was so obsessed with this case. I needed to know every single detail and I thought, well, maybe they're they're gonna give a few more details that I just haven't heard of yet or and it was the third episode that um they're talking about the isotopes where the victims are from, the ages, the age range is and kind of backtracking where these victims were from, and that they were only in New Hampshire for about two weeks to three months before that they were somewhere else California hit and I don't know it was it was, it was right then that I was like, you know what this post this post this post I'm like I I'm, I'm going sh- to make sure once for all. I'm going to contact these people. I'm going to find them and make sure this isn't them because I, it's just, it works. It works. So um, I, was, I went to school and uh, I go to school at night and I'm driving back and I'm all I'm thinking about is I've got to get back. I've got to find this woman. I'm going to find her on Facebook. I'm going to contact her. I just need to know. And um, I found a woman with the same name um, who posted it from 2000. And I said, oh, you know, I'm wondering if you're this person looking, who's looking for uh, Sarah McWaters and Marley's Honey Church. And she's like, she responds almost instantly. I'm going to say within like a minute or two. It's like, oh yeah, I am. And so I kind of just explained to her what I do that I try and help, you know, loved ones locate their loved ones, and maybe I could help. And she just kind of starts telling me about when Marlies disappeared and circumstances, and then she had just thrown in that, oh, yeah, by the way, he she married a guy, and his last name was Rasmussen. And if you know anything about the Book case, the perpetrator, his born name he was he was born with the name terry rasmussen and so for me that i was like oh my oh my god i'm like wait 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 like it seemed so unreal that like you just knew you knew there was, there was no you're like oh my god i what what do i do what are do i doing oh my
0: god <laughs> what did you do <laughs>
2: Well, since it was about ten o'clock at night, I had to hold on to this tidbit of knowledge until the next day so that I could contact it was in between California State Police and then New Hampshire State Police. So the next day got in touch with California state police, tried explaining like listen, I'm sure you get this all the time. There's people wanting to Give you info and tips. And I was like, but I, I'm pretty sure that I, I know who these victims are. Um, and you know, you could just kind of hear like the yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, like uh huh, yeah. I'm like, no, but I really, really, I, like, I really think it's them. And um, sure enough, by the next week, the family was getting DNA samples, and um, yeah, it turned out it really was it was them.
1: So all this happened during that one Facebook conversation that you had after your night class and you were exchanging messages back and forth. Did you, did you, did you say, you know, like, Oh wow, this is the person in the course of that conversation? Or did you keep that uh, entirely to yourself?
2: No, 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 no. I did. I definitely didn't tell her because I mean, first of all, I thought like, that's not my, it's not my job to, I I don't want to be the, you know, someone that's going to be like, oh, guess what? The person that you're looking for, let me tell you this horrible story. You know, it, it's way too much. So no, I actually was just like, oh, are you looking for this person? And then law enforcement contacted them.
0: Yeah, it's a great question because I'm sure that, uh, I, I don't want to say that temptation to say that or to spill all that is there. But yeah, I think, Naturally, that sounds like what you'd want to do is just tell the person everything, but that makes a lot of sense to not tell them about that.
2: Well, you know, it it comes with a lot of backlash and it's a lot of hurt and pain, like just finding out like, okay, I'm looking for my loved one. This person just told me they know who they are, that they know who they are and what happened to them. And like, that's way too much to overload on someone. But I mean, within a few days, they were fully aware they were family members were reading newspaper articles on this guy. And yeah, so it's, it's very, it's a very fine line.
1: Yeah. Cause you have to balance that with, um, you know, your own excitement. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who are doing, uh, the citizen detecting thing, and and they get excited because they think that they've broken it. But I'd say 99% of the time they don't have that, um, you know, that connection there that actually brings it together like you had, um, and it's tough to resist. It's tough to resist saying, yeah, I did it. I did it. I'm, I'm the one that broke this, you know, 30, 40-year-old case. Um, it's crazy.
2: Yeah, there's certainly that aspect of it, but, you know, for me it was always – victims getting their names back that's what it was about and the other part of it is the case is still ongoing it's still law enforcement still wants to talk to them without them knowing the the knowledge of what was put out there you know and start maybe giving them memories that they thought they had or you know you just don't you don't want to taint any of the the family's thoughts or anything. And and kind of if I took that on as my own job, I, I think it could certainly affect the outcome in some ways.
1: So what's up with uh, Bob Evans, Terry Rasmussen? Uh, What happened to him over the course of all of these years?
2: So so he he apparently had quite a life. Um, All we really, we we kind of know the story backwards. We know that he died in prison in 2010 um, for killing his then wife um, on Soon June. At that time, he was going by the name Larry Banner. They found out that this guy that had died was earlier, I'm gonna say in the 80s, found with a child he was claiming was his own, whom he claimed her name was Lisa. He at that time was going by the name Gordon Jensen. They actually backtracked that girl. And her mother back to New Hampshire. Her mother name her mother's name was Denise Bowden. She went missing with a guy named Bob the guy Bob Evans. So we know now that Marlise left with Terry Rasmussen. He was going by Terry Rasmussen, and now he was in New Hampshire. Showed up. So it's kind of you fill in the blanks of what he was doing. We don't know. There's still so many questions. Um, goodness knows how many victims there are. Sadly.
1: Is that something that you're exploring? Because it doesn't, it sounds like he's a repeat offender. It sounds just reading articles about him. And even his own son's account says that he had, you know, like a, a dead man's look in his eyes. He just does he sounds like somebody with no empathy, just a real psychopath. Do you, are you trying to um look at him for other crimes around that time frame?
2: Absolutely. And and the fact that so there was another girl there was another little child that was left in the barrels which they determined was his biological daughter. So they don't know her maternal line at the time. They're they're trying to figure out who she was. So there is still at least you know, there is the the mother, there was a mother of this child, whoever she is. I'm sure that once they find out who she is, that they're going to just, it's just going to unravel even more because this woman she's missing. He was oddly enough going by Terry Rasmussen at that point. So most likely the, the, the biological daughter, her family, her family must have known him as Terry Rasmussen. So it's almost like, okay, some people know his actual birth name, but then he had all these other aliases. Like, how do you look? How do you, you know, the only really way to do it is assuming his style of, he would blunt blunt force trauma, like looking at victims and saying, Okay, is this time frame, location wise? But yeah, I mean anytime I hear a case, all I do is think about him. Is there was there a potential could it be his victim? Could it I I just feel like there's a trail.
1: Yeah, definitely. And and it's not like he was um particular to one location either because you're saying that it was california new hampshire the complete opposite ends of the country so you're you're kind of looking at someone with the same mo in the mid to late 70s early 80s all over the country
2: all over yeah because now they're saying the the little girl most likely like she's from arizona because Little by little, as the story gets out, more tips come in, and um, they're focusing on Arizona.
0: Sorry, they're focusing on what in Arizona?
2: That that location that he, at one point, was working at the mines there. And it's kind of the time frame that the daughter would have been conceived and born. So they're thinking that she was probably in that area. Meanwhile, when he left New Hampshire, he went to Texas. And then he was in between California. So, I mean, it's really like, eh, wherever he just decided to go.
0: So you've been lic- uh, looking for uh, missing people or um, unsolved homicides in those areas that you think he was in?
2: Absolutely, yeah. Looking for more people, looking for their missing loved ones um, that, that either fit those... L- locations the time periods it's just I mean I doubt we will ever ever get the all the answers but there's still a lot that I think can be uncovered
1: have you looked into um the mo where because it sounds like from what you're talking about in just articles that I've I've read it sounds like he's the type of person that will almost infiltrate a family And he has to get to know the the woman beforehand. Am I wrong in thinking that that he's that that's the type of person he is? Because so far it hasn't been like sort of random. It's been you know he's got a kid or stepdaughter step you know.
2: Mm -hmm. It does it does seem like there was kind of like a I, I don't know if it was like a hunt for him where he liked to get them attached, move the women out of their location wherever they were from he'd remove them from that location and he was very good at just lying to the families and making them believe we're just going to vanish like you know we've got whatever whatever stories he would tell about like oh we've got financial problems we're just not going to be seen taking them across country kill them repeat the cycle over and over again and he would often use Uh, children as like that's what would pull these young women in at least that's what we know from the the information that we have now
0: right so he used that same kind of template if you will Uh, how horrifying horrible and so he would isolate the woman um, from her family and then move her across state lines so where it would be more difficult to investigate
2: yeah. And, and if you talk to the family members of when he went missing, like the woman, after he had, we're assuming that left the barrels, he was repeating this cycle. So there was a the woman, Denise Bowden, who had her six month old daughter at the time. And her family members say like, he just was like, you know, you're probably not going to hear from us again. And was just like such a smooth talker that people, they were like, okay, you know, and left. And so I I don't know that people necessarily would even think to start looking.
1: Yeah. And you also worked with a woman named uh, Barbara Ray Venter. Uh, did you work directly with her? And what was her role in this?
2: I actually didn't work. I did not work with her. I didn't know about her until after the case, but she is the one who identified him through DNA, Terry Rasmussen, through DNA. And she is working on the biological daughter as well. So she's working on that. And then this case, we were actually both working on at the same time, completely unbeknownst to each other. Um, So she's she's still actually working to find bio daughter.
1: Have you, have you uh, communicated with her since then? No. It's interesting because I I kind of see the two of you as like the, the the superhero duo where you seek out the person and she, uh, actually she does the connection with the DNA. I feel like that could be a good podcast.
0: What other um, citizen detectives did you connect with? So
2: other people that have like followed this case, um, like Rhonda Randall, she did the the blog Oak Hill. Her and her brother Scott were following this case for years and years and years and they knew so much info i don't know it's just it's just crazy to me how many people just dedicated time and energy with nothing in return just trying to find them these these poor victims names so um that that was a a big a big one that um we got together after the press release we we visited the the um, the grounds where they were found. Um, I mean, so many questions, no answers.
1: Oh, so you actually uh, have visited the area in Bear Brook?
2: I have, I have. I mean, I, I guess maybe knowing the circumstances, you feel a little bit different about it, but it's it leaves you with more questions. It really does. It's just like a, it's like what What went on here? Are there other bodies you know buried here is the mother- is the bio mother here? Like, who knows
1: and what were they doing in that area in the first place?
2: Um, I think we all would love to know that no one seems to have the answer of what brought him to New Hampshire at all i I don't I mean Marleese was from Connecticut and California. So, you know, maybe she was going going back towards New England. And I, I don't know. I, it's, I think if we knew that answer, it might give us more direction because who just goes to California, to New Hampshire, of all places?
0: Right, right. You don't quite know the connection there or how they met or whatnot, huh?
2: Yeah, it's like if he knew somebody? Did he go there because he knew somebody? Did she go there because she knew someone like what was? Oh, I think about that all the time. It's like, what's that link? I think once they figure out that link that they would probably, you know, uncover quite a few answers.
1: I think one of the things that really baffles me about the whole case is that some of the bodies were found in these metal barrels. And then years later, more bodies are found in metal barrels. How far apart were these barrels? Like, what what are these metal barrels just like randomly in the in the woods? I, I think that's what kind of I don't I don't want to say it that, that's what made me feel like it was a, a, a much heavier case than I could take on.
2: Yeah, so there were ol- so there were old oil drums. But what we found out and this I found this information out by speaking to Rhonda Randall. Um, so Bob Evans at that time, he was helping clear out the old mill, Womback mill in Manchester. So he would fill up these huge oil drums and he would just, they would just dump them off on the land there. So it wasn't like these were just the two oil drums, like that was just like a dumping ground. And I'm assuming he was just like, well, send some dumping everything else, here. nobody else is going to notice these one thing that stands out is that the years apart uh, that is unfathomable i don't, i don't understand how 1985 and then a football fields throw away there's another barrel and they say oh no that th- this all happened at the same time i just i don't know if i completely believe that i don't I don't know if his MO was to use little children to lure in other adult victims. It's like did he maybe keep the younger two alive longer and then throw the second I don't know, it just doesn't really make sense to me.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting point and uh obviously uh, if the, if the barrels were there at the same time, you wonder why the, the second one wasn't found, um, you know, it took 15 years. Uh, and obviously you mentioned it's the woods. It's like, it's a big park. Um, so I guess, uh, vegetation would have probably covered it, but were there other barrels there too? Is that, is that what you meant? The...
2: That area was known as like a dumping land. Mm. There was a lot of things on that land. Even when you go back there, you will, there's like foundations of, old buildings um there was like a store there that apparently evans used to go to um that mysteriously burned down if you go back you'll see there's just crap everywhere and to me i i went in there i'm like digging up stuff i'm like finding things like there's just stuff everywhere and it just makes it really does make you feel like mm. I don't know like why I think both of them should have been found together. It just seems like I, other parts of me say, well, was the barrel there? And then they just put the remains in the barrel like that, you know, the second set, like, is that how it works? Like what? And then if you think about it, like logically, if he really killed them all at once, why would he choose the adult female and the adult, um, the oldest daughter to put in one barrel, but then put the two smallest younger ones in the other barrel? Doesn't it seem like you would, like size wise? Doesn't that seem, I don't know, maybe that's just my. No,
1: nah, I see what you're saying. Like, why is he, I don't want to sound crass, but why is he jamming two adults in one barrel when he could split it up and not have? as big of an issue with a smaller human and a larger human split between two barrels. Um, Also, as long if there's barrels there, why isn't he putting them in four different barrels and why is he putting them together? It is, it is very strange. I don't know. I can't, (laughs) I wish, actually I don't wish I could get into the head of a psychopath. I mean, if you're in the head of a psychopath, it probably would somehow make sense.
2: It would. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it will. And the other thing is I wonder Did he mean to bury them, but the weather was, because it was around November that he left. November 1981, I think, when he left New Hampshire. So it's like, did he kill them? And it was like, didn't realize, like, oh, wait, you can't just dig up the woods in New Hampshire at this time of year. So then he just threw them in barrels instead, like, I just, there's so many questions, so many questions, like, are his other victims buried? And this was just the one that he couldn't get rid of quick enough. I don't know.
0: Did you talk to a law enforcement uh, from New Hampshire about any of these questions that uh, that linger in your head?
2: Um, so I was with the family when the next day when they had questions. And these questions were, like, a lot of these were brought up, but there's it not. it's kind of just, giving an opinion, it's not, there's nothing really based off of fact. So I I think they tend to keep closed mouth unless they can make a statement that's factually accurate.
1: And you're continuing your work trying to identify the um, remains of missing individuals. Uh, What, what are some of the cases that you're digging in on now?
2: Well, there are, um, I mean, there's always ongoing cases. Um, thankfully through like the DNA projects, they're, they're just like, it seems like left and right people are being identified. Um, there was one actually just recently, she used to be a Jane Doe that I was absolutely obsessed with, um, in California. And it turns out (laughs) she was, I'd contacted the, uh, so I had found this woman that was missing, Anita Piteau was her last name. She was missing from Maine in 1970. She was just identified as a Jane Doe, 1969, I believe in Huntington, California. But when I had told law enforcement, they told me, oh, no, she's, we've tracked down this woman, Anita, and she's alive. It wasn't true. It wasn't, it wasn't at all true. odd to think about like two years ago I this case could have been solved too because but sometimes you're not taken seriously
1: what do you do in a situation like that where you're told by law enforcement that this is uh you know it's a shut case
2: it's a found that this person is a found individual um you just you don't ever start looking for like these people posted hey where is Anita does anyone know what happened to her Those are all of the things I go towards. I'm like, all right, let me find out. But if you tell law enforcement and they're like, no, that's a living person, you don't, all I have now is I'm looking back at all the emails going, all right, I guess you can't really.
0: Right. So now you just like, you take screenshots of the emails and you tweet those out and say, "I, I could have told you two years ago in your face, everyone.
2: Yeah. No, I actually did send an email back to him and forwarded the email that I sent before. And I was like, oh, FYI, just so that you know, she was identified.
1: <laughs> and I'm sure he got, got right back to you, right?
2: Uh, no, well, he actually did oh. say thank you for letting me know. But yeah, yeah, no. So things like that, it's a little, um, like you say, what do you do? I... I I don't know. All I did was, if anything, frustrate me because I'm like, well, what about all the other times that you put in tips and do any of them they get looked into? Or am I just being told, yeah, yeah, just to shut me up, you know?
1: That's, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. And it's uh, something that will never change, right? Because it's not supposed to change. It's It's their information and they'll – proceed as they see fit
2: yeah I mean it's 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 sad um on account of like the family members and I even reached out to the the the, that woman her family members again I'm like I'm so sorry you know I I heard the news and like it's just I don't know you're trying to help but I think not everything is taken seriously. So at least I know now, like, all right, this, what I'm doing is not completely in vain.
0: Yeah, I think um, it, it sort of takes a little bit of relationship building, too, I think, to be taken seriously by certain departments. Was that a department you had uh, known before?
2: Not really. Not enough to, I mean, it was also before, like, the Bear Brook thing happened. So not that I don't know that I could be like, Hey, listen, I'm a credible source. I did this, but
0: yeah, definitely would help now because you're much more Googleable as far as that goes. Yeah.
2: Mm, yeah, that's true. That's a, that's, that's a good point.
0: Now I, I, we've spoken about this before and uh, I've seen it in, in a couple articles about you. Um, and I feel like the, this has to do with some some aspect of, of your work um, that you had grown up in, in a cult and and left that cult when you were nineteen. Do you mind talking about this a little bit?
2: No, not at all. I was raised in a religious cult, and when I was nineteen, I was supposed to get married and you know continue this life, and I just did not I didn't want to be a part of it so um i just decided, you know, what, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm walking away. And when you, when you walk away from something like that, you, your family is, you're, you're done. They cut you off. You're no longer, you no longer exist in their eyes. So for me, these, these cases have much more of a, a deeper meaning to me because I look back and say, oh my God, if something. Bad had happened to me, or if I had just gone down the bad, the wrong path, or I'd made this decision. And because you're, I was so naive, I was so naive. I didn't have any life skills, like to equip to so that I could work outside of that community. Um, if something happened to me, I would just be a Jane Doe and I'd be sitting in a morgue somewhere because my family wouldn't have come looking for me. They didn't. They wouldn't have known I was missing. So that's, that's really what draws me into these, these Jane Doe cases because I feel like nobody, nobody's fighting for them. Nobody's giving them a voice. They can't do it themselves. So I want to give them whatever voice that they don't have and try and give them their name back, the, the one ounce of dignity that they could possibly get from the situation.
0: So I can see how that does really kind of clearly connect to what you do now.
2: Mm. Yeah, I think that's it's really what pushes me. That's how I get so absorbed in it.